Welcome to the Pet Grooming Business Podcast with me, Bill Betts, where we give practical business advice to help you grow your pet grooming business. This podcast is sponsored by LowPay, the low-rate payment app that gives you more. So without further ado, let's get going. We're live. We're live on uh, Facebook and uh, this next episode of our podcast. So welcome, everyone. Uh, Welcome back. Thursday lunchtime. I hope you're busy. Um, We're coming in to entertain you during your lunch hour or uh, if you're listening back on the podcast, um, no doubt probably going to have a a good hour's chat with uh, Nigel here. Welcome, Nigel. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Are you? Yeah, very good. It's nice. Nice. The sun's come out for us. Um, So, Nigel, uh, precision sharpening. Tell us a bit about yourself and your business. Okay, Uh, I started probably nine years ago by accident uh, doing our own sharpening for our own training salon. Um, and seemingly I got reasonably good at it um, and you know, started to grow a client base uh, and bought a diary and it pretty much went from there. Uh, and now I do a lot of the Groom Team England girls. I do most of the you know the top grooms. I'm not going to start throwing names around, but I'm always at all the shows. Pretty much everybody you know, knows me. I have a decent reputation these days. Um, yeah, and like everyone else, we just do the best we can and, you know, we try and be professional about it. Yeah, so nine years ago, uh, this can't be your first career. What, tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> yeah, I was, a, I was a bodyguard for 12, nearly 15, nearly 15 years before that. Um, yeah, travelling around the world, getting shot at and stabbed and generally saving myself from disasters somewhere along the way. <laughs> So you're, you're a bodyguard straight shit magnet in in the words yeah, of <laughs> yeah, absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah not a single client ever got hurt but it always seemed to be me. <laughs> well, that's the idea, isn't it? So of course, uh, you know how did you how did you make the transition from um, celebrity bodyguarding and high profile um, people bodyguarding and close protection to to sharpening scissors? It was uh, it was a. It, it was purely by accident. You know, obviously, my family run a, a, a grooming business. My mum's been a groomer for 54 years, something like that. Both my daughters are groomers. We had a training salon where we train, you know, baby groomers. Um, I was in there one day after I'd come back from a job. I was injured. Uh, listening to the girls there, they were just spared out nearly a thousand quid in sharpening, and everybody was moaning. And I came up with the infamous words, yeah, how difficult can it be? <laughs> yeah. Um, in fairness, it, yeah, as you find out afterwards, it can be pretty difficult, actually. Um, but we went and bought all the kit, and the idea was we were only going to you know, just do our own stuff uh, in between me going back to security and everything. Uh, and it never happened. Um, all of a sudden, I bought a diary. I was writing people's names in there. I was going out and seeing people. Uh, and it just literally ran from there. It, it was utterly by accident. Um, but I think that the the mentality that I had from you know previous career of there's no such thing as it'll do, it's either right or it's wrong. Um, works well in this industry because you know it is with a pair of scissors. You know it, it's okay. So, oh well, if they don't quite cut right at the tips, but they'll be all right. Well, no, that doesn't that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, they're they're either right and they cut as they're supposed to do, or they don't. And if they don't, you do them again, and, and until you get it right and you develop your skills over the years. So you've kind of uh, <clears throat> taken some of that skill set from your 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 previous life. You know, yeah. 
if you if you got a firearm a gun it either works or it doesn't so you've got to make sure that it works all the time doesn't it and that's absolutely you're carrying that over aren't you into yeah exactly and the maintenance side of it as well you know you'll know you know if you know handling firearms you know part of the thing of having a reliable firearm is you're cleaning and maintenance of it you know you do not want that thing going wrong at the very moment when you need it no that's it you don't want your clippers breaking down and then going where's my spare ones and they're like Oh, they need servicing and they're not working. <laughs> you forgot to oil it. Never mind. Oh well. <laughs> yeah. So Next. tell us about your your daughter. Obviously, your daughter was inspired by your your mum your mum and her business. Yeah. Are they working That's together? The, yeah, they're, they're both both my daughters now. I've got my youngest daughters at uni. My eldest daughter finished uni and then went to work in the salon over the summer where she'd, you know, she'd always done her summer jobs there and stayed there. She's entered competitions, she's done very well. She's you know, she won. I can't remember. She's a hand, hand strip at one of the bigger competitions mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years ago. She, she's pen stripping is her speciality. Right. Uh, and she teaches you know groomers every single day. My youngest daughter, she's home from uni for the summer, so she's back in the salon today. Uh, she's you know, training people as well. She's nineteen, um, and yeah, you know, you know I, I live, sleep, eat, and breathe grooming. You know, I have a family of groomers. My fiance is a groomer. Oh, really? Yeah, get away from it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever think that you're going to end up in this kind of industry? Absolutely not. I, but I tell you, I, I, my first my first ever experience with grooming, two, two, three years old, and I remember it vividly. My mum at the time was, had just started grooming, and she showed chihuahuas. And this was back in like 68, 69. Um, and she had a chihuahua. She just qualified for Crofts. And then back in the day, that was that was a big thing for her. And I remember sitting on the floor of the grooming salon, surrounded by fur, as old grooming salons are, and the chihuahua wandering by, and there was nobody around. And I remember thinking, I'm going to help me, Mum. And I picked up this old pair of Oster Golds. I started at the tail and worked my way up to its head with a 10 blade on it. And if you check carefully, you can still find the bruises. <laughs> <laughs> Her prize craft winning chihuahua was ruined. Bold. Yeah, <laughs> 10 blade. Yes. Wow. How, how far did you get before your mum walked in and... A fair way. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, it was pretty much balded by the time she came back in. I, you know, I worked fast on it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was, I, I remember that vividly. Um, and that was my first experience of picking up Eric Clippers and anything doing. It didn't go well. And then, and then she sent you off to the army probably for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it was banned from then on inwards. Um, yeah. yeah, I've grown up, I've grown up in a grooming salon. There's there's nothing I haven't seen or or otherwise. Um, and it helps, in, you know, it helps in my job because yeah, I, I know what people want from the equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know how to achieve it. It's it's okay knowing what you know how a pair of scissors can cut, but you you actually got to know how to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to a great extent, all the training courses in the world don't teach you that. It's only experience. You know, every pair of scissors is different. Um, it's not the most exciting job in the world compared you know, compared to previous careers and things. Mm-hmm. But on the same basis, it's nice when you get it right. You know, you pick up a pair of scissors that somebody sends in. That you know, they send you a little note that says five other sharpeners have tried to get these right. And they don't work, and you look at them and you think, yeah, I know why that is. And you spend 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour on it, and you get it right. I'm actually putting that back in a packet and sending it back to somebody and saying, right, they're done. It's it's a, you know, it's a nice feeling. 
So, okay, I'm, I completely agree. You know, you've got you've got some credence. You got you know the industry. You, you've watched your your mum, and you you know the ins and outs of the the groom salon. A bit like myself and watching my wife and um, the business. Otherwise, my advice probably wouldn't work either, would it? Because I I'd be like, don't have that experience. So I understand yeah. that. I'm I don't understand your your industry, like the sharpening industry. How how can a pair of scissors go off to five different people, but then still be <laughs> still be wrong oh, I, I think it's like with groomers you get an awful lot out there that are without with, with no great you know no disrespect to an awful lot of them they're they're hobbyists you know i like them saying it's a it's the bloke down the road who can you know who sharpens lawnmower blades um who you know who, who can do that because you know it's not that difficult to do and you know you pass him a pair of scissors he knows how to pair, you know, sharpen a pair of kitchen scissors Mm-hmm. But yeah, a pair of grimaces is something completely different. And unless you actually understand the you know, the mechanics of it, and you know, even sometimes the physics of it, how a blade's put together, how a blade's shaped, mm. uh, how they're supposed to work together. Um, and you know, I see it when they come in. Um, and it, it is a case, I think, you know, people are a lot of times self-taught. They can do an average job on an average pair of scissors. Mm. But you give them something unusual or special, um, I see it on the fo- on the Sharpens forums an awful lot of times, and it's it's one of my little soapbox things. Um, and I see people because we have Sharpens forums, just like groomers yeah. have groomers yeah. forums. And I see people putting on there regularly. I've just took this pair of scissors in from a customer. Um, how do I do them? And you think, well, you you've just took that pair of scissors in off somebody as a professional, and you're charging money for doing it, and you have no clue. How to achieve it, and sometimes this is basic, basic things that they ask. You know, which side of the thinner do I sharpen? Really? <laughs> yeah. And, and unfortunately, to a great extent, that's the standard of sharpeners out there. I've, I reckon, in this country, out of gee gods, there must be a thousand sharpeners out there, and I rate maybe half a dozen. There's only maybe about half a dozen who actually understand and know how to do the job and have the experience to do it properly, and all the rest of them are out there basically butchering people's equipment and it, it upsets me <laughs> yeah obviously you're very passionate about it and yeah absolutely just like you know if a groomer i know you know i see groomers do it all the time you know they look through other groomers you know facebook things saying dear god did you do that with a knife and fork or oh my god look at how bad they've done it's the same thing yeah you know? this podcast is sponsored by low pay low pay is half the price of sum up and zettel so you keep more of the money that you earn Rates start at 0.79%. So uh, I suppose like a bit like the grooming industry is that you don't need, don't require a qualification to set no. up. Is sharpening a similar sort of industry as that? Yeah, there, there are no uh, regulations or qualifications anywhere in the world, actually. Uh, I think in America, there's a, there's a guild of master sharpeners, but in fairness, that's weighted more towards things like knife sharpening and you know, industrial sharpening, guillotine blades and that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. In terms of the beauty industry or the grooming industry, no, anybody can go and buy a couple of machines. You know, they can spend two, three, four thousand pounds or a few hundred quid um, yeah. and just go around collecting people's scissors in. And every single day I see, you know, the results of that when people end up sending them to me saying, you know, four or five people have, you know, have done these or I've had these done once and now they don't cut and I can't get hold of the guy anymore or he says that they're fine and they're not. Can you do something with them? Um and I think now in, what, nine years, I think there's probably only one pair of scissors that I've actually had to send back and say, no, they're... 
diagnosed. Yeah, and that was somebody's boyfriend had set about them with a Dremel. <laughs> and, yeah. and let's face it, mate, the, the equipment that we, we use within the salons, it's not cheap, is it? These scissors oh, are cheap. No. Again, it's another one of my little soapbox things. Um, yeah, I tend to go off on a little bit of a rant with it, really. Uh, grooming schools, and I'm, I'm being unbiased in this because I have very little to do with our own grooming school, other than I wrote the section on blades and scissors maintenance for yeah. it. Um, but an awful lot of, you know, even if you go and get professional qualifications in the grooming industry, you are very rarely taught how to look after your equipment. You're not taught what to buy. Um, and I see it all the time where people, uh, groomers go and buy pretty scissors, let's call them. Mm. They don't know where they come from. They don't know what they're supposed to do. They buy them because of the aesthetics of it. They look pretty and they're affordable. And if you went and trained in any other industry, you went and trained as a plumber or a mechanic or a welder, you know, they would teach you about the equipment and what to buy. You know, as a mechanic, you go, you know, you start to train, train as a mechanic. The first thing you'll ever be taught is don't go and buy a, a set of, you know, Chinese socket set off the market. Yeah. You know, save up and go and buy, you know, Snap-on or, or whoever else, a decent quality. You never taught that in the grooming industry. You're always taught just go and buy a pair of scissors and people will go and buy. And I know people's budgets are different. Um, and you know, there's there's no fault in that at all. People have got to you know buy what they can afford to buy at the time, mm. but they actually still a lot of times don't even realise or know what they're buying. So they'll buy Chinese scissors uh, or Pakistani scissors that are blingy. There's all crystals all over them and pretty colours and things like that. And they're shockingly manufactured. The poor steel. They don't hold an edge. They'll go blunt in a fortnight. And you've still paid 40, 50, 60, 80, 100 pounds in some cases. Mm. Yeah. I, I know people who are buying scissors of AliExpress and paying eight, nine dollars for them and selling them for a hundred quid. And with the best will in the world, they're crap. They're so, absolute rubbish. <laughs> so this comes into the manufacturing of them, I take it. And like you said, yeah, the, the quality the quality of the material. So obviously still doesn't get dug out of the ground, still is put together, yeah. isn't it? So yep. I suppose and, with the Chinese, I mean, you know, everybody knows, you know, the Chinese are famous for, you know, not necessarily being truthful over, you know, what's out there. Yeah, I've, I've got a pair of scissors, you know, in the workshop now that have got stamped all over them. Japan, spelt wrong, Japan, 440C steel. This thing has never seen Japanese 440C steel. But somebody's paid 100 quid for that pair of scissors and the rusting and the three months old. Yeah. Yeah, grooming schools should teach people. Uh, in the first place, yeah, you see these things, mm -hmm. good old rose lines, you know, the 50, 60 quid, but they'll last you forever. You know, you drop them, they bounce. More often than not, you know, you can pick them back up and they'll still cut again. And as a starter pair of scissors, you, you know, you really can't go wrong. The German steel, they're manufactured really well. The quality control superb on them. And yeah, and for anybody starting grooming, that's your starting point for them. You can go on some more advanced scissors, uh, yeah, and nicer quality ones, as and when you can afford it. But if you can pair, buy a pair of decent quality German steel scissors for 50 quid, why would you go and buy a pair of crap Chinese scissors for 80 or 90? Um, you know, those rose lines will stay sharp for three months, four months longer than your Chinese ones, just purely because the steel is so soft. Mm. It doesn't hold the sharp edge. As soon as you get to a, a 
Is that a whiskers? You know, and you trim through the whiskers. It puts a chink in the blade, and you can feel that catch in it as you're doing it. Uh, and grooming schools don't teach how to look after the stuff and what to buy in the first place. And it's a really odd industry for that because every other industry that I know of that's a practical industry teaches people about tools. And ultimately, that's what they are, the tools. Tools of your trade, aren't they? And, yeah. and so when you're looking at, um, you said about a, like a, a a mark on the scissors about telling you what kind of steel it is. And do all scissors have that kind of mark? Or when they yeah. advertise... Can you ask the manufacturer or when you're you buying can ask the them, Yeah, you can ask the manufacturer. What I would say to people is stick, you know, in the first place, you know, if you're starting off grooming and you maybe you've not got a huge amount of money, go with something like the Rose Lines, the German steel ones. Hmm. Yeah. Pick every stockist from Christie's to Simpsons to Mutney's to everybody stocks Rose Lines. Uh, and they're a great place to start. From there, stick to your bigger brands. Um, you know, things like the Kenchies. The Gabes, um, yeah, it's, there's, there's a variety of other ones out, you know, out there on the market, Yentos, things like that. That I, I, I recognize brands that you know the quality control is there. I have my own scissor brand, you know, but I design the scissors myself. I have them made in Japan by one of the best manufacturers in Japan. Um, and those things come out and they are beautiful, but they're not cheap. Mm. You know, mm. that, that, there are scissors normally that you move on to. I wouldn't be saying, you know, go and buy a pair of Kajiro's straight off. You know, mine start from 160 quid, which is for a baby groomer, is you know, it's it's a big leap in the first place, especially when you're going to buy two, three, four, five pairs. Yeah. But start off with your rose lines and then avoid anything that looks <laughs> that looks pretty. Extent. <laughs> yeah, the way that people they, they cover up. I suppose it's like fashion, really. The way that people cover up the poor quality is by putting little jewels on them and shiny bits because it, you know, it's magpie-like. Yeah, and uh, you know, you you've seen the industry over the years, and your mum must like testify to this. Like when she started, compared to like now, the the amount of um, choice and and uh, influencers and advertising and you know, it's the industry's just boomed over the last ten years, isn't it? It really, really has. Um, but as I said, I think I said to you earlier on, it's still a very strange industry. You know, coming from you know my previous careers and things where everything was ultra professional. Um, it's it's still it's it's like an industry in its infancy, the mm. grooming industry. It's still trying to find its feet, and there are people out there who are trying to push it to be professional. And there's a few people holding it back because they're making too much money out of not doing. Um <laughs> You know, it's it's the way it goes. But, it, yeah, I mean, the industry has changed. The equipment has got a lot better. Mm. You know, back in the day, I remember back in the you know, 60s, 70s, when my mum started, you know, rose lines, if you, you know, rose lines were like, ooh, you got a pair of rose. They were, they were posh back then. Um, now they're an everyday thing. You didn't have the Chinese scissors coming over. You didn't have the Pakistani scissors coming over. You know, the clippers then were the old big Oster things, which, you know, they were – there were a wrist injury waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah, with the advent of you know cordless clippers, it brings its own problems. Um, if you imagine a pair of Heinegger's, you know, it's probably the most popular clipper on the market these days. Nine years ago, when I think when these first started come out, I used to see one a month. Now you rarely see anything else other than Heinegger cordless clippers, and that's a great thing. But then what you get is things like the wide blades that have just come out now, which, you know, there we go, one wide blade. Mm -hmm. I hate the damn things. Um, 
Not for any other reason than what people don't realise is it, wide blades were made for the equestrian market. They were made for trimming horses' faces and horses' feet mm-hmm. on it, on a big pair of horse clippers, a big powerful pair of horse clippers. And then one day some enterprising groomer must have thought, I can shave a dog quicker with one of them. <laughs> I found out it fitted on her clippers. So what you have then is you've got a big, heavy wide blade that you're putting onto a small pair of low-powered clippers and you're putting them on there and then you try to shave off a massive labradoodle and your blades are jamming up mm. and you blame the blades or the clippers for it. And it's not, it's using a blade that was never designed for that purpose on a pair of clippers that were never designed to, to do that. But the people who are selling them don't really care because, you know, they're paying three quid a piece in China yeah. for them and selling them for 40 quid. So they don't care whether they don't work or not. And you can send back a, you know, a dozen of them. They're still in profit. <laughs> it goes it goes again to the using the knowing the how to use your tools of your trade doesn't it i suppose and, and knowing yeah. education side of things so so if we just um come back to scissors um what are your sort of recommendations for for buying scissors i think we've kind of um gone over most of them but if you're at a trade show and you're looking over the scissors what and you can pick them up what kind of stuff would you be looking for are there like uh, marks on them, like the sil- uh, the steel marks and, and stuff like that? If, if you're actually, it, it's difficult if you're um, if you're not in front of them. I would always say to people, uh, wherever possible, don't buy a pair of scissors unless you can pick them up and feel them. Yeah. Because th- that that's the mark of how good a pair of scissors is, how, how it feels in your hand, mm-hmm. how balanced it is. You can feel the quality on it. It's so difficult to do that from a website or from a catalogue. Mm. Um, you can't. Some of the, the distributors these days are getting better at it, so they're not stocking you know, the, the cheaper rubbish that they used to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there are there are certain people that you can speak to. I'm one of them. Yeah, I don't care whether you buy my Kajiro scissors. If you just want to know, you know, if you do what particular job you want to do in a particular budget, I'll try and point you in the right direction of at least some good quality brands and some good quality styles. All the people's people like uh, Mandy at Scissor Boutique. Mandy, it's, it's, she's probably forgotten more about scissors than I will ever know. <laughs> um, and, and she's great for it because, again, like me, she, you can go to her and say, I've got 80 quid. What can I have for that? And she will still try and pick you something that's good. Mm. Um, and, and that's the thing. Avo- avoid the other people who've just got a website where you can never pick the scissors up. If you know the brand, then you can, to a certain extent, you can go off what's marked on the blade. The problem is with a lot of the stuff, because it's Chinese, what's marked on the blade doesn't necessarily mean what it is. Yeah, as a start, if you can tr- if you can actually trust what it says on the blade, you should be looking at something that says it's 440C steel. And that's the first decent quality steel that scissors should be made from. Right. And from there, you can go up to VG10, VG1, ATS134. There's, there's all sorts of different you know, qualities of steel after that. But as a basic minimum, they should be 440C. But only believe that or if it's from a brand or from a distributor or a supplier that you actually know, because there's quite a lot out there that say they are and they're not. Yeah. Um, you know, look at the standard of finish that's on them. Um, you know, feel how, how they feel. You, you will find 
I always get it when I go to a show and I have my scissors out there. Um, and I always say to people, pick them up and feel them. And you pick them up. And we call it the, the, the like the Kajira look because you can see people pick them up and they go, oh. <laughs> because that's probably the first time ever they've felt a proper pair of scissors. Mm. Um, because you know, before that, they've just been using rubbish, and you can say so you don't have to pay a huge amount for it, but feel how smooth they are. Um, look at the standard of manufacture on them. Yeah, if you can see that there's already pitting on the blades and things, don't touch them. Um, and, you know, so, and to an extent, try, try and avoid buying them off websites if you can. If you go, if you know, if you can go to the grooming shows, go to the grooming shows, pick them up, try them. Talk to other groomers that you respect, not just put a post on English groomers. I, I saw one a little while ago, somebody put a post on for scissor recommendations, and some lady put a recommendation for a particular brand. I said, oh, they're the best scissors that I've ever felt. They're, out, they're amazing. And I looked at it and I thought, to be honest, love, you, you're more to be pitied than laughed at, because if they're the best pair of scissors you've ever felt, you've not felt very many scissors. Um, but people would see that and, t- and take that as gospel because... You know, something they don't even know is said they're really good. Well, that's fine. You know, if you've only ever driven a Fiat Brava, yeah. you won't know what a Bentley feels like. I suppose when you go to, because um, a lot of groomers love going to grooming seminars and watching um, dogs being groomed. I suppose if you if you see a really good cut on a on a poodle and they're they're scissoring the poodle, then that's one of the good questions to ask, isn't it? Like, what yeah. scissors are you are you using? Can I have a look? Can I have a feel? Can can you show me them? What? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Talk to I, I, you know, the bigger groomers. I, mean, I, I won't throw names out there, but everybody knows some of the bigger names in, you know, in the industry that are successful competition groomers. Yeah, talk to them. Find out what sort of scissors that they use and recommend. But also bear in mind who's sponsoring them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I was just about to say that. I was going to pick that point up. And for anyone that's coming into the industry and is new in the industry and they're hanging out in these Facebook groups, and I had this the other day, uh, and you know, Facebook groups are great asking for recommendations, and um, you know, like the the best. Can anyone recommend the scissors? Can anyone recommend shampoo? Can anyone recommend the dryer? Just be mindful that some of the answers that you're getting from people are because they are actually being paid to put that information into into Facebook groups. So it's all about. And I was talking to my wife about this last night, and how she spent the last 19 years building her business, pet grooming business up, and testing just testing shampoos and testing like equipment out and buying stuff and testing it and then i'm happy with that i'm happy with that you know and just not being influenced by anyone else uh and just doing that due diligence and um staying away from all the the hype i suppose so uh, it comes with a health warning doesn't it yeah absolutely does um yeah, so you get a lot of the you know the bigger names in the industry yeah i think people like you know keep them at arm's length and they oh, I shouldn't talk. I, I know most of them. Yeah. And they're nice people. They'll always, you know, they'll always have a chat to you. If you ask them, you know, a question, most of the time they'll give you a very honest answer uh to it. Yeah. Um, and they're happy to pass on their experience mm. for the most part. Um but again, you know, buy scissors that are suitable for the job that you're doing. Um if you're predominantly doing you know shih tzu shave offs and you know doodle shave offs and things you don't need to be spending 250 300 pounds on a, on a pair of scissors um you need you know a decent pair of workhorse what i'll tell you there, there are two types of blades in the scissor industry 
there are beveled blades and there are convex blades. And the difference with them is if you look at, I don't know if I can show you properly on this, but if we show you on a pair of rose lines, it's a flat blade mm-hmm. and then it's got a definite beveled edge to it. That's what is quite a strong edge. When you're cutting through heavy fur, um, then that edge will hold up far longer than what they call a convex edge. If you look at things like the Gibe crabs, the Kenchi scorpions, uh, the Gibe blue breeze, these are all bevel-edged scissors, and they're meant for heavy-duty pet grooming. If you want to go to you know convex scissors, see if I find you know, like something like these. Um, if you actually look at those, you'll see the edge is a little bit like an aircraft wing. Mm-hmm. It comes down on it, and it comes to a graduated point. Well, that's a convex blade. Now, you can get a convex blade much sharper than you can get a bevel-edged blade, and they're great for things like competitions because when you're having to get that perfect outline, that will pick up the very, very fine fur, the fur, fine hairs that are out there that a bevel edge won't, so you get a far crisper outline. But on a convex edge, a convex edge, because it's a very definite, I mean, I can get into the technicalities, it's, it's about a 55-degree angle as opposed to a 25-degree angle, that edge will deform far quicker. So if you're not using it for just trimming the outlines of fine fur, you're using that to hack through a doodle's mats. Yeah. It's going to go blunt in three weeks. Yeah. You know, a bevel-edged pair will last you months doing that because that's what they're designed to do. So it's buying a pair of scissors that are suited for the job that you want to do with them. Um, and then and then knowing, the, again, knowing the tools that you need for that job in front of you as well, isn't it? Yeah. And again, unfortunately, a lot of the training schools don't teach this. And I think a lot of times they don't teach because the people who are teaching it don't necessarily know themselves. They don't understand the difference. You know, they will see somebody at a competition using a pair of, you know, vipers or something like that. They are, oh, they're really pretty and they're beautiful. And they are, you know, and they're 180 quid. But if you start trimming around a shih tzu's feet tomorrow morning, you know, by next Wednesday, they'll be back in your scissor box because they'll be blunt. Yeah. The way it goes. <laughs> so so we, we've, we've learned how to um, choose our scissors and how to, um, how to buy them and, and perhaps how to look for the, the better scissors. Once you get them back into your salon, what's your sort of recommendations for looking after? Okay. You know, do they all go in a box? Do they hang on the wall? Do you hang them upside down? I don't know. <laughs> your recommendations? I, I, I have literally seen them. You know, do everything. For, you know, from the, from storing them on the floor to having them in pretty cases yeah. and everything else. Again, it depends on the quality of the scissors. If you got, you know, if you're going to go and buy Chinese scissors, then you need to clean those things down. You know, and have no moisture on them. You know, put them in a box every night, try and keep them away from as much moisture as you can, or otherwise they're going to rust. Right. A decent quality pair of scissors, although it requires some maintenance, doesn't need that level because the type of steel it is is not going to be as, you know, deteriorate as much with moisture. Mm-hmm. What you should be doing as a as an absolute daily thing uh, is oil them. And again, very few people do that. There's a reason why you maintain your scissors, and it's not just to cut and this is another little hobby horse of mine. If you take a pair of scissors, what you should be able to do is, is let go of the heavy end, mm-hmm. and they shouldn't close like that. <laughs> what, <laughs> what they should do, you should be able to tension them. Let me just turn that now. They should, that's it. They should close. So about five to one, ten to two. Yeah. The reason for that is that the blades are designed to work against each other. So if they're too slack or too tight, if they're too tight, 
then it's too much pressure and there's too much pressure on the pivot. You don't cut the correct. If it's too sloppy, then the edges aren't meeting right and they're not cutting properly. Yeah. But what happens with that is, and, and I know it from years in the industry again, when a groomer starts to get a scissors going blunt and they think, I don't really want to get the sharpener in this week or I can't really afford to you know, send them off this week, we'll tighten them up a little bit, whether it's with a screwdriver with a little twisty knob or anything, and a, a couple of clicks on it and you might get another fortnight out of them. Okay. And, I, and I understand people do that, but everybody's heard of carpal tunnel, carpal tunnel syndrome. Yeah, I was going to say it must That's where it comes from. Because you're doing that, I should say that, thousands of times a day. Yeah. And the tension on there is putting tension on your thumb. Okay? And over a few, few weeks, months, years, all of a sudden your thumb starts to get sore. So you start to hold them a little bit differently. And then your wrist starts to get sore. So then you hold your arm a little bit different and your elbow starts to get sore and then you start to get carpal tunnel syndrome and then your shoulder starts to go and then your back starts to go. And believe it or not, I think Southampton University did a study going back a few years now for occupational health on, it was actually time for hairdressers. Yeah. And they found that carpal tunnel syndrome started from that. From the scissors not... not from the scissors not being set properly. And all you need to do is you need to set them so that they do that. Every day take some scissor oil, and yeah, I, yeah, I do my own, own scissor oil, and it's the best scissor oil in the world, and I import <laughs> it from Japan, and it's vegan and hypoallergenic and natural, and the samurai's used it and everything. Um, but you put a couple of drops of it just in the pivot yeah. every day and just work it in. And what that does is it helps to clear out the dirt that's in there, gets rid of the, the bacteria that's in there as well. And you can see the difference now. All I've done is oil loads, and all of a sudden they're closing up even quicker. Yeah. Okay. So we actually need a little bit more time on them. There we go. We're back to where, they, and that's where they should be, and that will protect you, your thumb and your hand and your wrist health. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I know groomers of careers, and one in particular, lovely lady, not very far away from me, and she's been a groomer for about 15, 20 years, uh, and she's literally just had to stop grooming in the past few weeks. And she loves grooming. You know, it's a passion of hers. And she can't groom anymore because she's got her carpal tunnel syndrome. is so severe. Mm-hmm. She's had to stop. And her business is up for sale. And she's having to retire from the industry. And she's only in her late 40s, early yeah. 50s. Again, it's tools, tools of a trade, isn't it? That you need to look after the tools and then look after you. Yeah, that's right. So oil them every day if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, just put a little bit, again, wipe a little bit over the surface of the blades themselves just to clean them off. Um, and you know your scissors will last you. They'll stay sharper a lot longer because you're not having to overtension them. You're not having to hurt your wrist. The edges aren't rubbing together how they shouldn't do. So you know there's not the same wear on those. They're going to work like they're supposed to do. You're not going to have to sharpen them as you know, as much as you would do. It's the same with blades. You know, it's blade maintenance is probably actually more crucial than scissor maintenance is. We'll go over that in a minute. I just, I just wanted to ask: uh, Is it obvious when scissors need sharpening? I, I don't use. I'm an op- operator. I'm not <laughs> a operator. So pretty much every groomer will, will know when a scissors are starting to starting yeah. to go off. Yeah, you know, when they start to fold the hair. Um, yeah, and they're not quite going through as as well as they should do. Uh, and I know it's the old trick. You know, they, every, pretty much everybody does it. Oh, they're starting to go a little bit blunt. I'll just tighten them up a little bit more. Yeah, for a little while you can get away with that, but genuinely it will shorten your grooming career. I've often asked the question of like a bit, and it's a bit shiny penny syndrome, isn't it? With all the all the availability of 
chunkers, dinners, scissors. You can have like a billion pairs of scissors. And I'm sure many people, we used to have a farrier, right? And he used to store all the um, horseshoes in his on his um on his land he used to have a pile of horseshoes and he's like that's my that's my pension because i'm just going to scrap all those horseshoes when i retire i bet there's some groomers out there with a pile of scissors that are like well <laughs> i'm gonna scrap oh, all yes. my scissors. do you need like do you need all of these scissors or can you have like um <laughs> like a pair where you're 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 currently using a pair that's being sharpened and a pair in reserve i mean is that to, to a great extent yeah people should have a Pretty much a spare set of everything. Mm. Just because, you know, you can, you know, scissors get knocked off the table. Mm. Um, and with the best will in the world, you know, if they, if they land on the floor and they land wrong, it might put a chink in the edge of it so that you're not closing properly. It could just mean that they don't, you know, knock them out of line and they don't cut properly. So you should always have a spare of pretty much everything that you've got. But again, I've noticed over the past uh, probably five, six, seven years, um, Back in the old days, people used to have a pair of straights, a pair of thinners, and a pair of bullnose short scissors for doing round feet. Yeah. That was it. That was it. Nobody had ever heard of chunkers, fluffers, you know, curves, <laughs> whatever. I, I know through talking to some of the manufacturers, they sit there and they genuinely sit there thinking, what can we design next? And what will sell. And it's not about the finish that you get on the dogs. Mm. It's about making something different that people go, oh, I haven't got a pair of those. Yeah. And, <laughs> and all they do is they recruit and then a couple of groomers to go, oh, they're brilliant. These, you, you can't live without these. They've done it for the past 50 years, love. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you might on some coats with a pair of curved chunkers get a slightly better finish than... Yeah, but my my mum would argue <laughs> seventy something years old. If you can use a pair of straight thinners properly, you can. You don't need a pair of curves. Yeah, I I, I tend to be of that opinion. Yeah, when I designed my, designed my first pair of chunkers for Kajiro, my mum looked at me and went, "What the bloody hell are them? The chunkers, mum? What the bloody hell are chunkers? What do you use them for? Well, you can do the bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Cut chips with those." <laughs> yeah, yes, I yeah. Best critics of the people in your family. Yeah. But it's it's true. You need a spare set of everything, but don't go mad. Don't you know a lot of the fads of the curved thinners, the curved chunkers, curved thinners and chunkers in particular, especially. And I know because <laughs> mine should be here this week from Japan, and it's took me eighteen months to get them right mm. off it. They've been around on the market for two or three years. And again, the only reason I've designed these is because I got sick to death of people asking me for them. But because of the mentality that I was, if I was going to do it, they had to be as good a quality as I could possibly make them to be. The issue with curves, find a pair of curves, curved thinners and curved chunkers and curved thinners and just curved scissors, obviously because you've got that sort of blade on them. The lower quality manufacturers of scissors, the pivot on the center there tends to have some give in it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you try and flex them, I mean, on these these are a pair of mine, so there's no flex in them at all. Guarantee you, you know, everybody who's watching is going to be listening. Go and pick up a pair of yours, and you'll find that there's a little bit of wobble in there, and that's a little bit of give in the blade. If you have that on curved thinners and chunkers, unless your scissor action and your scissor technique is exceptionally good, 
you tend to put a little bit of lateral pressure with your thumb. And if the pivot's got some give in it, that'll mean that the blades cross. And you won't believe I repair probably 10 to 15 curved thinners or chunkers a day that have locked. And it tends to be because a person's scissor technique isn't good and they're using a pair of curved chunkers or thinners that are poorly manufactured, so they've got you know so little tolerance in them. And I always I have a little saying with it: it's that like curved thinners and chunks. It's a bit like lycra. Yeah, it's a privilege, not a right. <laughs> yeah, not everybody should use them. Yeah, not everybody's capable of using them. Um, if your scissor technique is great, no problem. If it needs work, stay away from because you're only going to cause some problems. One of my prototypes, one of the first couple of prototypes I brought, I brought over from Japan of the curved chunkers. Um, I had my daughter use them. It was a good groomer. She thought they were useful. I had other daughter use them. I had my fiance use them. And they're all good groomers. They're all competition groomers. Use them with no problem whatsoever. And I said, right, okay, just try them with that student. And it was a student who was about a fortnight into a course. Hmm. And they gave them to her. And she went, oh, oh, we'll give them a try. Lock immediately. Jam the blades, lock them up, damage the cutting edge. And it's absolute proof that, you know, if your scissor technique isn't right, just stay away from them for now. Um, and again, it's probably going to cause injury as well to in the long term with your muscles. and Yeah, yeah, because you, you, you're trying to make them work. Yeah. You know, a good pair of scissors should work for you. You shouldn't be having to work, work them themselves. So, yeah, stay away from your fad things. I, I, I am a little bit, I suppose, old-fashioned in that, yeah, you know, a pair of straights, a pair of thinners, a pair of short scissors for going around um, the feet. Um, a pair of curves. If you're doing a little bit more fancy work and you're starting to do Asian fusion stuff and, you know, doing top knots on poodles and things, yeah, a nice pair of curves can help you. But everything else from there, really, it's a fad. Mm. And I, I, always, I always say in my in my talks that the – and these, are, these talks are at trade shows, but so the, the traders are probably like – but I always like say, you know, you have to ask yourself if you're growing your business, do, does it is what I'm about to buy going to help me uh, achieve my goals? And if that goal is to like make more money, is it going to help me achieve more goals? Do I need that bit of equipment in my business? Is it going to help me? So it's always a good question to ask. Mm, absolutely. What? Um, how do you know when a, a pair of scissors is done? I need to go to the big. Uh, recycling, recycling <laughs> okay. pile in the in the yeah yeah they, they, when they've done done what you'll find and in fairness this is a pair that it's actually a customer's pair that they gave me this morning um, and over a period I think these are about they're probably six or seven years old now mm. uh, and we try and take as little metal off the edges we possibly can you know and, and sometimes you know we take we're talking microns but if the edge is badly damaged we might have to take you know a quarter of a mil off or something like that well if you notice every time that you do that you'll probably see from there there's a little bit of an instep right on there um it literally you know the, the width of the blade narrows the more metal that you take off and eventually because there's less metal at the tips than there is down at the uh, the pivot you'll find that the tips all of a sudden will start to gap because you've got less metal there and you've taken so much off. We can shorten the blades, you know, we can reshape the tips for them. But you will also find that as the as the blade starts to narrow, then the, the cutting action isn't the same. And yeah, you know, on bevels, it's not as bad as it does on a convex blade. 
for other reasons. There's there's a ride line on a convex blade and it's hollow ground. You'll find as the blade narrows, you will find that they're cutting as well. If your sharpener is a decent sharpener, talk to them, they'll tell you. Yeah. yeah. I, I get ones in that I'll, I'll, you know, a lot of times I'll get four or five pairs of scissors in, and there's a particular pair that's in that that I may or may not have seen before. But if they're getting close to the death, I'll sharpen them up. I'll test them. If they're working, okay, great. But I'll put a note in with them then that says, these are pretty, you should be starting to look at replacing these. There's no charge for them. They're working fine, okay, but I can't guarantee them you know, yeah. for the length of time as everything else. So there they are. Um, and you, But talk to your sharpener. Your sharpener will tell you. Just be careful that your sharpener doesn't also sell scissors. These scissors are done, but I recommend my 500 pound. <laughs> yeah, they'll last you for thirty-five years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's move away. I mean, one one day they might not even need scissors; just have a comb attachment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, believe me, I, I, yes, they have. Yeah, let's, so. let's let's go into clippers and talking about clippers and uh, the same the same question really. You know, do we need hundreds and hundreds of clippers, or is it like having a working pair, a pair that's being repaired, and a pair that's like a backup? Um, I, I would always say with clippers, you you need you know, a, a good quality. And in fairness, these days, people sp- they will spend not a lot of money on scissors, but they'll go and spend £400 on a pair of clippers. Wow. Yeah, I mean, a pair of a pair of brand-new Heinegger Opals, I think are about £360, £370, something like that. There are thereabouts. You know, the Andy said ours are you know, similar sort of money. Um, and and that's good, you know, because you, you're getting a reliable. I mean, the Heineggers, you know, the, the Swiss made. I think it's is it Bosch. I think they're owned by. Right. Okay. So yeah, they're, they're and inside them, yeah, they're, they're very good. But you should have a decent quality pair for your everyday ones. You should absolutely have a backup pair. Mm-hmm. And to an extent, it doesn't really matter what that backup pair is. It could be a pair of old corded Andy Swans. Um, but you should always, always, always have a backup pair. You'd be amazed how many times I get phone calls from groomers in tears saying, I've just dropped, you know, the dog's knocked the clippers off the table and they're, they're not working now. And it's, you know, it's half done. And what am I going to do? And, yeah. And believe me, I have driven out at seven o'clock at night to go and fix clippers for people and gone there. And there's a, yeah, a damp dog on the table you know, waiting to go out. It happens. So, yeah, always, I always have a backup pair. In terms of your blades, Oh, it depends how many dogs a day you're doing. Depends what sort of dogs you're doing. Um, I know and there's a lot of groomers out there now. Uh, I know five or six, not very far away from me, uh, that literally have a couple of 10 blades and a set of comb attachments. <laughs> That's it. That's probably taking things a little bit far. Again, I'm old school. I like to have, you know, I would, I would always say that you need a couple of three tens couple of three sevens, couple of fives, couple of fours, and a three and three quarter. That's how I came up and I, you know, I knew of blades. Yeah. In fairness, these days there's not a lot of people getting a buy with, you know, a couple of 30 blades and a peach comb attachment. Um it, it's down to the, you know, the the type of job that you do. If you're being professional, no, you should have at least a couple of each blade, especially in this sort of weather as well. When it gets hot like this, obviously, you know, your blades will get hot. You need to be able to take one off, let it cool down, you know, clip another one on and carry on working. Um, what's, so, what's, the, what's the biggest issues you see when you have blades coming in to, for servicing and sharpening? It's easy. They don't oil them. Okay. 
<laughs> Simple as that. What, what, yeah. What's the recommended um, routine at the end of the day? You know, everyone's like knackered. They've had they've they've done like six dogs, probably a matted cockapoo, been moaned up about price, <laughs> grumpy customers, and it's like, right, I need to need to sweep up my hair and go home. What's the what's the routine that they need to introduce <laughs> okay. into their business? Um, when I when I do my seminar things, you know, at, at shows and things, the first question I always ask is, yeah. How many times an hour do you oil your blades? Mm-hmm. And everybody looks with this wide-eyed panic. And it's like, how many times an hour? Yeah. I, and, yeah, I mean, most groomers, you know, you can say, well, how many times a month do you oil them? <laughs> wow. Again, it comes down to training, you know, within, you know, the, the places that, you know, that, that train dog groomers. Uh You'll notice now on, I haven't got any around, I don't think, um, the new Heinegger blades that are coming through, and Ascalat blades as well, uh, they actually have stamped on the front of the blade, and it's a little oil symbol, and it says 15. And some of them, I think it says 10. That means it should be oiled every 15, 10 or 15 minutes. Um, and it's funny, when I point that out to groomers in person, they always go, I don't have time for that. And the bit that groomers don't realise with it is, you don't have time not to. Yes. What they fail to get together with it is if you oil your blades regularly, correctly, your clippers will run faster, your blades will run faster, you'll get a faster clip, a smoother finish, your grooms will be quicker. For the sake of spending 30 seconds oiling a blade, I, I pretty much guarantee you that you, know, you will take five or 10 minutes off the length of time that it takes you to groom that dog because your blade's actually working. If you take a a blade is two pieces of metal that, you know, the back, the cutter blade moves like that a couple of thousand times a minute and it's two pieces of metal rubbing together. When you get two pieces of metal rubbing together, you get wear, you get friction, so you get heat and they also start to swell a little bit as well so they get tighter. So it's putting more strain on your clippers and when you've not oiled them, they're not working properly. They're not being able to move, so they're not moving as fast as you, they should do. It's like not putting oil in your car. Um, the mistake people make with oiling is they put too much on in the first place. You know, they'll get the wild squeezy bottle, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, you know, and they'll they'll squeeze it all over the blade, and it's on their hands, it's up their elbows, it's dripping off the table. The dog's covered in it. The blade's soaking in it. You know the the towel. It, it's it's everywhere. And I've cried out, and they've spent fifteen minutes trying to clean up. The fact is, if you take clipper oil, and we do it with our clipper oils, so you've got a little pipette, you've got a little, little pipette, and you literally, if I can show you from, and we work it from there, you're literally putting a drop on there, a drop on there, one on there, and one on there. So That's four, it. Four, four drips. Four drops. You can barely even see the oil on there, but if you put that back on your clippers now and just buzz them up, mm-hmm. that'll distribute the oil across the blade. Tissue, just wipe off any excess. That's it. That's as quick as it is. It's 10 or 15 seconds. What you should be doing is putting a little on, often, uh, as opposed to drowning in a minute, mm-hmm. and then it's getting on the dog's fur. You're having to rebath it again. You know, it's... It's a whole palaver with it. And it's because people haven't been taught to oil correctly in the first place. A, a tiny amount of it, if you can't do every 10 or 15 minutes, which I admit 
you know, unless it's in this sort of weather, it's a bit excessive. At least every time you pick that fresh blade up to put it on your clippers to do a dog, mm-hmm. oil it first. And honestly, the difference it makes in the speed of your clipping, you they would be amazed at. And on top of that, um, I've had groomers where, you know, I've gone to them and I've been going to them every couple of months, say every six, seven weeks in some cases. And I said, look, you need to oil your blades. I don't like oil. Look, I'll show you how you can oil. They've gone from having the sharpening done every six or seven weeks to every four or five months. Mm. Well, that means that they're saving three, possibly four of my visits. So they could be saving 400, 500, 600, and more, depending on how big the salons are, a year, something like £1,000 a year, just by putting... A little bit of oil. And it's worth of oil on there. And it's the biggest thing that probably most groomers can do to save money on the sharpening. Just oil your blades. Every time you pick it up out of your box, to clip it onto your clipper when you've got a fresh dog on the table, a couple of drops of oil, just wipe off any excess, away you go. And literally, it's £100 a year you'll save. Yeah, and the rooms will be quicker and will be a nicer finish. It's building it, building it into that routine, I suppose, isn't it? And- yeah, yeah. So it's not, and if you're doing that, it, as you said, you know, when you get to the end of the day and you're knackered and all you want to do is go and get a glass of wine and put your feet up and you know, forget the salon even exists, you can. You're not having to sit there at the end of the day and oil your blade, your blade, because you've been doing it two, three, four times over the course of the day, ten seconds, fifteen seconds each time. You're storing them away at night. The only other time I would say to do any prep with it is of a weekend if you're closed, especially if you've got a mobile van, you know, because mobiles are horrible for moisture in there or everything. Um, or if you're going away on holiday or something, you know, don't leave your blades out. Thoroughly oil them then and put them away. That's great. Uh, but other than that, for your normal day-to-day maintenance, if you're doing it throughout the course of the day, you can just put your feet up, go and pour yourself a glass of wine. Jobs are good. And is there any other cleaning routine you need to do at the end of the day, or is it just literally get rid of the hair and then oil your oil your blades? Yeah, get rid of the hair out of them. Um, I, there's another one is with uh, people who ask me about is like blade sanitizers and blade washes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I start to look at those because obviously with me, I mean, I've got skin like a rhino. You know, from years of it, my hands are ridiculous. But I noticed originally when I was doing this job that I was starting to get rashes and patches and allergic stuff because I was using, you know, blade wash and I was using oils and everything else. And genuinely, I was getting rashes and stuff. I mean, I'd never had rashes on my hands in my entire life. Um, and it was like, Christ, it must be. And I started to look at what was in clipper oils in the first place and was amazed at the amount of nasties that were in clipper oils, uh, which is why we I designed, I, I got a company up in Scotland to engineer me my own oil and I needed it to be of these friction coefficients and these heat resistances and, and everything else to, to make it a, a suitable for clipper oils. But then I wanted it hypoallergenic, non-toxic, clear, odorless. So that if you do get any on the dog, it's not going to stain. It's not going to do all the problems that you have with oil. I got rid of in our own oil. And then I looked at blade washes <laughs> and blade washes. The people will notice if they order them from various suppliers that, a lot of times they can't because they're experiencing problems with shipping them these days. Mm. The reason they're experiencing problems with shipping them is that most blade washes contain something. The main constituent is something called naphtha. It's a petroleum derivative. The other name for naphtha is paint thinners. Right. Okay. So it's any wonder when you're washing your hands in paint thinners why your hands start to get a bit nasty. But it's also flammable, toxic, 
smells horrible. Oh, that's it. So we came up with our own blade sanitizer and cleaner. And again, we say to people at the end of, of every day, little squirt, clean them all off, dry them all off. Ours is a plant-based sanitizer. It's, again, vegan, hypoallergenic, non-toxic, the whole everything's for it. For somebody who's one of the least green people that you will ever meet, I seem to do an awful lot of it. Um, but yeah, blade washes, you do have to be really careful. It's why they can't ship them through the post anymore, because Royal Mail Because they're chemical. It's explosive liquids. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we talked about earlier, like having a spare blade when your blade gets hot. So cooling spray or just change the blade? No, I cool, yeah. don't get me started with the cooling sprays. We've done an hour already. So. Oh, no, here we go. This, this could go up. Right. Cool sprays. Pet hate number 472. Um, cool sprays are a brilliant invention by the manufacturers of cool sprays. It's utter, utter genius. Honestly, you wouldn't believe it. You take, I don't know, that's our blade cleaner. But you take your cool spray, okay, and you take your blade because your blade's got hot, and you spray it on your blade, and the cool spray, and the or four-in-one, five-in-one, whatever they want to call it, is actually a solvent, okay? So because it's a solvent, here we go to chemistry now, because it's a solvent, it, it evaporates quickly. Mm-hmm. When it evaporates, it obviously draws the heat out of the blade. So, number one, it cools them, and it cools them really, really quickly. But being a solvent, it also strips any lubrication off it. And it might say on the can that it's got lubricant added, but when you actually look at the cost regulations and everything with it, it's like 0.003%. Yeah? It, it's the barest amount possible in there for them to be able to say it has it. There wasn't the detail. Yeah. So what it does is it strips all the lubricant from the blade. So as soon as you put that back on your clipper, it's got no oil on there. So it heats up even quicker. So you take it off and go, oh, damn, things washed out again. And we'll spray some more on it. And that's brilliant. That by the end of the day, that thing's empty. And you're ordering another one. Yeah. To spray on it again. To do the same thing over again. And I'm saying for the manufacturers of it. It's utter marketing genius. It really, really, really is. But for the groomer, you're wasting your money. You're throwing your money down the drain. Get some decent quality oil, whether it's the Kajira oil, whether it's any oil is better than no oil for it. But use oil, don't use cool sprays. You know, it's get a ceramic tile or you know, a metal table or a metal plate or something like that. Put the blade on it, leave it a couple of three minutes, that'll draw the heat out of it, re-oil it. It'll last you then. You know, you'll get your half an hour, you might get your hour out of it, whichever it happens to be. It will also it will stay cooler, damn sight longer than Cool Spray does. If Cool Spray was so good, Audi would be selling it to put in their engines. <laughs> yes, I suppose. <laughs> and it's not going to happen, you know? Yeah. So Lewis Hamilton with Cool Spray on his... So um, so a ceramic tile or, or a piece of metal will help, you know, take the heat out of the blade and replace it with a, a cooler one, oil it, and, you know, everything keeps going. Yeah. Cool. Yes. And, and it literally is as simple as that. Um, you know, you just need to reduce, and especially in this weather, the, the amount of calls I get every single day, you know, my clippers have gone, have gone funny, my blades are all wrong, um, they're all getting hot, and it's, it's no, you know, the, the temperature of the past couple of weeks, it's gone from an average of 12 or 13 degrees to an average of 19 or 20 degrees. Mm. So your ambient temperature of your blade is probably eight, nine degrees more than it was. So it's going to heat up quicker anyway. 
Um, so yeah, that's where that's where you know it's caused from. But if you oil them, if you cool them off on a ceramic plate or a metal plate, you've got a couple or three of your more popular blades. And it also means then for sharpening, you can post them off and you've still got a couple there. Yeah. <clears throat> or you drop one and break the teeth on it or, or whatever it happens to be. You know, it's it's just good business as much as anything else, just to have at least a spare. And again, when when do you decide when the the blade needs to go to the recycling? You, Again, you, you, yeah, you'll find, I mean, the, the groomers will know when they're starting to go off themselves because they'll find that they're just not cutting as well as they used to do. When they reach their end of their useful life, if you look at the back of the blade there, you'll see there's a little strip there. Mm-hmm. It's like a little raised strip of metal. The amount of metal on there when the blade is new corresponds with the amount of metal that's on the actual cutting edge. And every time you sharpen it, in theory, if it's done right, the amount of metal that's t- taken off there is also taken off the strip. So when that starts to go smooth, so you can't feel that raised bump anymore, yeah. that's when you've got normal metal on your cutting edge. That's when, again, it's time to say, yeah, you know, we, I need to start looking at replacing it. Again, if you've got a decent sharpener, you know, I, I do it all the time. You know, I'll say to people, you know, I'll just put a little slip in with the bag with the blade in it saying, yeah, last sharpening on this one. Um, yeah, just a little bit more of this, you know. Uh, I, I wanted to, uh, we're just coming over an hour, so I wanted to um, start wrapping it up, but I also wanted to uh, talk to you about your training because um, you mentioned before we went live about doing some training and where, where you went to train. So obviously you've got years and years of experience and um, tell us about how you went out and did the physical training for blade sharpening. For, for sharpening? Um, yeah, again, it was a bit of a con really. Um, so, you know, I'd, I'd found out who made the, the equipment. Uh, in the first place, and it's the good equipment. It all tends to be American-made. Mm-hmm. And the main manufacturer of the blade sharpening equipment, I suppose the scissor sharpening equipment, was actually based in a little town in America uh, where a friend of mine lived, um, who I used to work with. Uh, so it was a good excuse for a free holiday uh, and to go and do some sharpening and learn to sharpen with the, the manufacturers at the factory. Mm. Uh, right. And at the same time, there were people like uh, Jason Stone uh, over in uh, his company called the Edge Pro in America, which is like the biggest sharpening company in America. Uh, and what Jason doesn't know about sharpening blades and things. And Jason's helped me. And when initially when I started, you know, I was on the phone and you know, I was FaceTiming Jason at 11 o'clock at night. You know, how do we do this? And how do we do that? And he was good enough to be able to go. Right, and yeah, he's one of those. As I come from a grooming family, he comes from a sharpening family. I think the sharpening business of his was started by his great great grandfather. Right. So again, what they don't know about sharpening clipper blades just doesn't need knowing. So he helped me along the process of doing that as well. Um, and I, I actually, every now and then, I still send some blades over to him um, for to help sharpen some up. Mm-hmm. And send them all to him for testing because he's got also, also special equipment there to see how well getting really, really picky and pedantic over it. Um, a clipper blade should be hollow ground, it's not flat ground. Again, we we come across people whose groomers' husbands have got a wet stone in the garage and they've decided to sharpen them themselves and they never work again. Um, they're meant to be hollow ground on a particular machine, and it's supposed to have a 0.27 micron hollow on there. Uh, well, I can't measure 0.27 of a micron. Um, and all the stuff that I do is I do it all by hand. It's all freehand. So every now and then, probably you know, every six months or so, I'll send a couple of blades over uh, and actually have them measured and checked 
mm. just to make sure that my technique and my equipment is still where it needs to be to make sure that I'm still getting that 0.27 micron hollow. But it, it, again, it's down to that. There's no such thing as that we do. It's either right or it's wrong. Yeah. So a bit of quality control for your work as well. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Every single thing that, you know, that we do is tested before it goes back. Um, yeah. If we ever get an issue, which is damned rare, before I then send it back, I will send it into our salon for a couple of days for them to test, 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 test. And make sure that everything is absolutely spot on right. As I say, for me, it's a there's no such thing as it'll do. Mm. Um, and the busier and busier and busier that you get, it's much harder to keep that that process going. Yeah. Uh, but we still do, you know, because we have to do, because otherwise there's no point doing it. So you've mentioned that people can um post blades to you and you also go out. So yeah, I don't do so much mobile anymore, unfortunately. Um, I had an accident last year and I've I over the space of four months I snapped my Achilles three times <laughs> and broke my ankle in three places um at the same time so my ankles it's it's been better um so I'm not driving the van uh, these days so I'm concentrating now on the postal business uh and on the Kajiro scissors and oils and and everything else from it but people are more than welcome to post the stuff in it's a 48 hour turnaround uh from receipt because again, every now and then we'll get a bomb pot last, last week. I actually had somebody ring me on Monday morning to say that she'd sent me her blades on Friday. <laughs> and why hadn't I had that? Why hadn't she got them back yet? It's like working days. <laughs> it's 48 hours from, re- from receipts, excluding weekends and yeah. holidays. <laughs> yeah. But she had sent them on the Friday and she somehow or another expected that they would be back with her by Monday morning. Yeah, so let's say it's 48 hour turnaround. Yeah, and in, in some cases, and again, I'm human. If somebody says to me, Look, I'm really, really knackered, you know, I've got to go away on a holiday or I've got this big job to do or a competition or whatever else, give me a ring, mm-hmm. yeah, and say to me, Look, I'm desperate for this stuff. And if I can possibly do it, I'll go out and pick it up. I'll turn it around the same day. I'll, you know, I'll, as much as anything else, you know, as, as busy as we are, and most of us have to swallow a process, I will still go out of my way to try and help people. Yeah. yeah. If they're stuck, then you know, let me know. Give me a call, drop me a text, whichever. Um, and you know, tell me what the problem is. And if, if I can fix it, I will do. Or if I can point you in the right direction if somebody who can. Yeah, I've been in the industry long enough now and I know enough people in the industry. If, if I don't know how to do something, I'll pretty much certain I know somebody who does. And how can people get a hold of you? Do you have a website or Facebook? Page? Uh, yeah, I'm on Facebook at Nigel Waters with International Precision Sharpening, which is a hell of a long but yeah. I don't even know how it started off as that, to be fair. Um, or the Kijira, we've got uh, kijiragroomingproducts.co.uk, which is where you can see the scissors and you can see the, the oils and blade washes. We're at pretty much all the shows. I'll be at Master Groom, probably be at Premier Groom. We're going to be at Groom Fest as well. I'll be at the International Grooming Conference. Um, and again, seminars and things, you know, I do a lot of Colin Taylor seminars with him. I do a lot of Pamukkale Michael Hogg seminars. I do some of Lisa Hart's as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm always around and about somewhere. Um, and yeah, if you go onto my, you know, my Facebook page, um, don't message me on the Facebook page. <laughs> the last time I checked the messages on there, it was about 2019, you know, and even then there was something like 47,000 unread messages. What's the best way? Text me or call me. 
Okay. Is, is the best way. I'm old fashioned. I was going to say that the old fashioned way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the old fashioned way. Yeah, it's like that, that human thing. Yeah, text me or call me. The the problem I ended up with with is I, I ended somehow or another with about seven or eight Facebook pages, hmm. uh, and Instagram and TikTok and and you know people saying I've sent you a message and I had like fourteen different pages to and yeah I don't have time to do stuff like that. So yeah, give me a call, text me. Um, you know, poke me in the eye at a show and say, you know, can you do for me? And like I said, I'll go out my way to help you. Cool. Well, it's been it's been fascinating um chatting to you about everything and the scissors and the and the blades, and it's great to give you a soapbox to to stand on. <laughs> yeah, don't give me too much of a soapbox, honestly. <laughs> I, I I've got to admit, the uh the scissor sharpening Facebook groups must be a blast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I may not join those. I'll send you a link. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's been great, and uh, lots of people have been watching it and uh, and joining in. So uh, thanks for your time, and uh, well, I'm going to be at Groomfest, so I'll come and say hello as well. Lovely. Thank you very much, Lisa. Take care. Cheers. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. Please make sure you give us a like or a review to help people find it. The podcast is sponsored by Lowpay. Head over to www.lowpay.com to find out more about their payment solution.